Coming up on the Money Beat Podcast, the inflation numbers came out on Wednesday morning. And yes, we want to know what they say about prices. But you know what? We're also concerned about what they say about wages. Is there enough wage growth in the economy to power it in 2017? We are going to have a roundtable on wage growth. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome to the Money Beat Podcast, everybody. Paul and Steve here in the studio in New York City. Grocer, how are you today? Good. I, I'm, I'm wondering if that's a little bit of foam on your around your mouth. You're so excited to get this podcast going. I, I'm a little fired up about this podcast. We're, we're, Paul's finally found people that are just as excited as he is. This podcast about wages. This podcast, and we have a couple guests. I'll, I'll introduce them in a second. So, so this morning we get a very important piece of data. We get the consumer price index for December, which showed that consumer prices in December from a year ago, for the first time since I think it was mid-2014, were up more than 2% year over year. I think it was 2.1% was the overall and 2.2% was the core. Core excludes food and energy. Uh, that is that is important. That's something that people have been looking for. They've been looking to see signs of rising inflation. What I always get interested in is what does that mean for wages? And if you listen to this podcast, folks, you, you, and you do, you're all dedicated fans out there, and I love you for it. Uh, you, you know that I bang the drum about wages all the time. I think it is a very, very important sign. The first Friday of every month. Of how much growth there is in the economy. I just I think it is critically important. And one of the things I that I personally do on the first Friday when the jobs report comes out is I look at all the sectors that have hired – and I go to another table on there and I look at what those sectors pay and what the wage growth was for those sectors year over year. And and personally, I think the weekly numbers are more telling than the hourly numbers. I think the weekly numbers give a better picture of what people actually have in their in their pocketbook to handle their monthly expenses and that kind of thing. So I tend to focus on the the monthly. But those numbers are not adjusted for inflation. Then you get the CPI numbers, which came out this morning, and you can kind of start to do the adjusting for inflation. And the BLS does that in a separate report that comes out this morning. And one thing that I noticed that I pulled out was that the real inflation-adjusted average weekly earnings for non-super – I know this is – it gets like – it's. I know, Josh, what you're thinking. Like, I'm, I'm totally cherry-picking. But, but the 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 – Average weekly earnings for non-supervisory and production workers, which is basically 80% of the workforce, is everyone who's not in management, year over year, that weekly number adjusted for inflation and for hours worked and all that stuff fell in December, 0.1%. It fell. Uh, Personally, I think that is very important. Uh, I wrote a little post about it. You can see it on Money Beat. I, I put a little note, I put a little snide thing out on Twitter this morning. And the two gentlemen who are on the line with us responded, and we got into it a little bit. And then I thought, hey, this is a great podcast, actually. So let's bring them on. So on yeah, the phone. And will you let them talk? Or I, just, I know, I know. just going to keep going. Well, listen, I don't have much to say after this. So, like, this is my big shot. Uh, so on the phone from D.C., Josh Zumbrum, no stranger to the podcast. And also, Tim Mullaney, who is a Market Watch columnist. Gentlemen, how are you? Very good. Nice to meet you. Yeah, not yet. And Tim, we've never actually talked, and we've never had you on the podcast. So, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you on. Uh, okay, look, I just basically said my piece about it. I mean, it's about everything I think. What, t- tell me, gentlemen, why you think I, I'm wrong or missing the boat on that. Well, I'll tell you why I made the accusation of of cherry-picking, which is a very nasty accusation to make. 
uh, it's just that, look, this report has uh, the figure for what earnings did for all uh, private employees. Like, there's no need, in my view, to pick out that uh, production and non-supervisory employee sub-index rather than use the entire index. And, and the entire index, you know, it shows that uh, that, that earnings are up. 0.2% and for for on a weekly basis and they're up 0.8 or 0.9% or something on a on an hourly basis and mm-hmm. basically the the trend we've been seeing in recent years and so that was you know that was why that was why I initially looked at it because I just looked at the headline top line version of the chart the the top of the table and you know it's it's still up it's not up a huge amount but it's up right yeah, and and, and uh, Paul, I'm a little more optimistic than than you are on wages. I, I'm probably my history, you know, at places I worked before I was at Market Watch. It was probably that I was a little bit early in calling the turn on wages a little too early. In fact, uh, as Bill Miller said, early sometimes means wrong if you're early enough. <laughs> and, and as I look at it, you know, I see, uh, you know, in, in the data series I watch, you know, that wages basically went down in inflation-adjusted terms, you know, 10% during the last recession and its aftermath, and have recovered basically all of that since and are now basically exactly where they were, inflation-adjusted, during the peak of the Internet boom, and about 1% below all-time highs, Mm -hmm. which I think will be reclaimed by sometime in the middle of next year. So I'm actually pretty sanguine because I see these things moving in the correct direction, subject to some things we're going to talk about, and, and and I see them this getting to that point in an economic cycle that appears to have a couple of years left left to run before the expansion runs out of gas. Well, see, what I when I when I look at this and and Josh, the reason I break this out is because I really think the you know look that that jobs number came out on the the first Friday and the wage growth was two point nine percent and everyone got all excited because two point nine percent sounds really good. I don't think excited is exactly the word. I I would call into question uh, that. Okay. I mean like the markets didn't think- go soaring. Right. I right. mean the, the, like basically people were like this is one of the it was like the only silver lining within that yeah. jobs report. It's the, nerd prom excited. Yeah, exactly. Right. There you go, Timmy. That's what it is. But, but I think I just think it's important to look at what the vast majority of workers are getting out of their paychecks and what they're getting as an increase from a year ago. And I think for a lot of people, the increase is virtually invisible. It is not something they can see. And I think that that is much more consistent with all the anecdotal evidence we have. And if you just kind of talk to your friends, talk to your people, I know people think like, oh, you guys are in New York City, you're elites and blah, blah, blah. Uh, No, we're not. I mean, like... We we talk to real people in our daily lives. I personally we think... We work in the media industry. Yeah, we work in the media industry. in our daily lives. Go on Glassdoor and see what the average journal reporter makes. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, so I just think, personally, I think there is not a lot of wage growth for the average worker, and I think that is a problem that has been a problem, and I think that... You know, I think that underlies a lot of what we saw politically this year. And the the reason I did the experiment I did, Josh, not the experiment, but the extrapolation, because I think when you start looking at those numbers, it gives a much clearer picture of what the problem is with the economy. Well, I actually completely disagree because yeah, and I'm going to go I'm going to I really think there's a little bit of cherry picking here because uh, what you should do is you ought to go calculate what that series has has performed like over time if you honestly think it's a better series. And what you'll find out is that 
um, although it was down, uh, you know, a, a sum that amounts to something like 70 cents over the past year. That, that's how much that's how much weekly earnings were down, inflation mm-hmm. adjusted for this category that, that you picked out here. Uh, the index has actually done really well over time. It's it's close to a, it's close to like a 40-year record, uh, and it's it's uh, I think if you look at it, you'll see that it's up like 10 or 15 percent since 2000. So, you know, actually, although it was down a little bit in today's report, if you really think this is the best measure of wages, you've actually picked a, a very optimistic measure. I'm not actually that optimistic. I don't, I don't think that's actually the case that, that most people are earning 15% more inflation-adjusted uh, than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I actually don't think that's what the anecdotes have, have been telling us. And so I think if you really want to get a sense of, of why people are kind of feeling the way they, they feel, there's other measures to look at that actually are lower than they were in 2000, that actually are lower than they were in 2007. And I think those are the those are the measures that uh, tell us something that fits with these with the kind of pessimistic anecdotes you hear. You know, this data yeah, series yeah, you picked out, which is down seventy cents. I mean, political uh, observation, Paul. You know, Hillary Clinton won this election by you know by two point eight million votes. She lost it by seventy thousand in, in pockets in in Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Sure. And and you know you. Zero in on the production of non-supervisory workers, whether that's cherry picking or not. I'll leave to better better minds than mine. But but what it does point out is that there is a place for policymakers and political thinkers and economic thinkers alike to consider not just the aggregates but also the needs of individual, call them publics within the broader public. Uh, you know, you can certainly make the case that, and and I would make the case that the broader public need for wage growth has been pretty well served the last several years, beginning in earnest in in 15 and and continuing pretty decently this year as well uh, in some measures that we'll talk about later. But nonetheless, you can't deny that there are people who are out there who are hurting. Now, one measure I like is the Atlanta Fed's wage tracker, which tracks how people who have been working hey, wait, more or Tim. less continuously. Are Tim, doing. you're, you're, you're and, totally jumping the gun. That was going to be our next segment. Wait, let's save it. Let's save yeah, okay, it. Okay, it's okay. a great let's measure. Yeah, it's but, a great... But the fact is, you can you can be right about the macroeconomy, which would explain why Clinton won by three million, almost three million votes, and be right... And, and you, Paul, can be right about the microeconomies, which would explain why... Um, Clinton managed to lose Ohio, managed to lose Pennsylvania, managed to lose Michigan, and managed to lose Wisconsin, an inside straight that nobody thought she could pull right. off, even with her demonstrated paucity of political skills. Okay, let's take a break. Uh, the next segment, you're going to love this, folks. You're going to love it because we are going to get we're going to get really wonky on wage okay. growth and what measures of wage growth you want to be following. So don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. News on the go. Whenever you want it, wherever you want it. WSJ Podcasts. 
Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast. And for more great podcasts, you can check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. You can subscribe to us on uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon Echo, Stitcher, Spotify, your Google Play Music app, basically anywhere where you can find a podcast, you can find us, you can subscribe, costs nothing, and then it gets delivered directly into your, your phone, your tablet, your computer, wherever you listen to your podcast, the car. I guess cars. You can get this stuff in your cars now, right, Professor? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> My car's from 2002. How do you feel about Snapchat? Snapface? I hate it. Me and Bill Belichick, we both hate it. Can't stand it. Uh, we've been talking about wage growth. We've been talking about uh, you know, w- wage trends in the economy. Josh Zumbrum in D.C., Tim Mullaney actually calling from New Jersey from his office, Market Watch columnist. And we kind of teased this a little bit in the last segment, guys. But, you know, one of the things that I do think this is kind of interesting, and, and folks, we're going to get a little nerdy and wonky, but if you stick with us, you'll learn, you'll learn something. I expect to learn something. There really are a lot of measures of wage growth out there. I mean, a lot that get reported, a lot that get followed, some that don't get followed at all. There are a myriad ways to measure wages and it always kind of raises the question of of what really is the best gauge of wage growth out there. And Josh, you cover economics for the journal. I mean, you are really deep in the weeds on this thing. So, you know, let, let's talk about this a little, guys. Like, what are the best measures of wage growth? Well, I think the reason there's so many different ones is because there's actually a lot of different things you you might want to know. I mean, there's there's weekly and hourly and annual uh, measures, and those all tell you different things. And there's different definitions of kind of income. I mean, the income includes uh, it, it includes anything you earn from uh, from investments. It can it, you know if you if you rent an apartment or something, it can include all that stuff. You know, earnings is a narrower definition that includes you know how much people are getting in paychecks from mm-hmm. an employer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are different these are different things. It, you know, another interesting measure that that uh, a lot of economists really like is one called the ECI because it includes. Uh, benefits that people get. So it includes, you know, how much money is your employer paying for health care on your behalf? Because, you know, there's reasons you'd want to know that. They're all, the the reason there's so many different measures is because there's different questions that you would want to ask about. What what does ECI stand for? The employment cost index, okay. right? And so that's why that's why it includes uh, that's why it includes benefits because from an employer's standpoint, you know, the question they want to know is how how much more is it going to cost me to have employees? So you have to include the the share of benefits that they pay in that. Yeah, right. And, and ECI, you know, they report it both ways actually. They report it with and without benefits. And, and, you know, in the last 12 months, and this is a point we started to make before, that just the wage part of that has gone up 2.4%. And, and over the same period of time, you know, because there's a couple months lag, inflation was 1.6 CPI. So people got a 0.8%, you know, uh, raise in, yeah. in the 12 months that ended in September, you know, which is cons- slower than, than the really sharp pickup in two, 2015, but still the kind of thing that's going to um, – you know, have you, you know, putting a little more food on the table or, you know, an extra trip out to uh, eat on Friday night once mm-hmm. in a while, which, you know, goes a good bit of the way towards explaining why consumer confidence is so high and, and how that might feed into consumer spending next year. Yeah. 
Hey, Josh, do you know off? You might know the answer to this offhand. What does the Fed look at when they're talking about wages? I know Janet Yellen has talked about what what would be a healthy wage growth number was three or four percent, something in in that range. She's been looking for, but what exactly did they look at when they're looking at? earnings. I mean, they look at everything really holistically. So, I mean, they look really across the board and they definitely want to see, you know, if there was any sort of a, if, if there's a situation where one of these measures is up kind of 4% and another measure is up 1%, they would, you know, do a whole report on kind of why there are those differences. I mean, they, they're looking at everything. But the, you know, the big headline measure that, that everybody talks about out of the jobs report is the average hourly earnings right, right. for for all employees and then you know people also look at the weekly secondary i mean this is kind of an interesting little debate what matters more weekly or hourly and and paul you sort of said well you like the weekly figures because yeah. that gives a better example of a family's paycheck you know i kind of like i, I kind of think there is something to the way they break this out is they give you the hourly earnings and they give you the number of hours worked. So if weekly earnings are down, it can be for two different reasons. It can be because people are getting less per hour or it can be because they're working less hours per week. And, you know, they're different situations. I, 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 they're just different situations. Right. And, and, and I prefer some of the, you know, to pull the camera back a little bit And, and the data I tend to look at most closely is the stuff it comes out of the Census uh, Bureau mm-hmm. that tracks median household, median real household income adjusted for inflation, and and you know I I like this because a it's the median it's this middle class person who feels forgotten in the political context and we really do want to know how he or she is doing, um, but it also includes all of the income they get not just what they get. From their job, but also you know their you know any investment income they have or or interest income they may have, mm-hmm. you know or for those you know like me who are self-employed, I'm I'm an outside columnist for Market Watch. It includes business income, and and that has done fairly well. The problem you know just if I'm getting really kind of wonkish, you know get wonkish. Of this, our, our listeners our listeners love some this. of the measures you're you're talking about is that the grocer loves it too volatile enough that. You know, I, I think it's just too noisy. I'm sorry, I missed that last point, Tim. I totally I, stepped I, on your feet on that one. I'm sorry. I have a problem or, or critique of, of the measures that that um, Josh and Paul were talking about. It's that I think the hours worked are a little too volatile from mm-hmm. month to month. It makes for noisy data. Okay. Hey, you had mentioned uh, an outfit called on in our in our Twitter debate. You had yep. mentioned an outfit called Sentier Research. Yeah, Sentier is some guys that. Are, it's basically two retired uh, Census Bureau guys, statisticians, guys working from their ports like I do, hmm. um, you know, who crunch monthly data on, on median household income to come up with their sort of adjusted number for uh, what they think. And they put it out more often than the Census Bureau puts, puts their numbers out. So you can get a, a, you know, a more real-time feel for what's going on. If you recall how the wage debate sort of exploded into the political forum in 2011 with a big front-page story that uh, Ben Applebaum did in the Times, uh, he based that on Centier data, which had found that, you know, that the wage decline was still going on and was, you know, getting more severe even into 2011. That became something that Mitt Romney tried to make a lot of hay out of in mm-hmm. in, in 2012. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... and Sentier, because their data comes out 
more often and, and is, you know, obviously adjusted for inflation. They picked up two things. First of all, they picked up the trend in wages before it was in some of the official census data, which is, you know, which is released annually, and the and Census Bureau itself makes a big deal of it annually. And secondly, they picked up that not only in terms of getting this middle-class consumer back on his or her feet again, not only did wages count, but the falling price of gasoline counted enormously mm. in, in raising standards of living and really accounted for a lot of the uh, – Lost purchase or recoupment of the lost purchasing power that went away between 2007 and 2011. Hmm. Yeah. So let's turn this a little bit, and we won't we won't keep our listeners on on too much longer. But let's turn this a little bit to 2017 and and what might be happening. You know what we might see. Uh, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna fall over myself and say going forward. I hate saying going forward, but what what, what we expect. I, I just hate that phrase. I think it's it's so useless. But Anyhow, let's look at what we expect to see in 2017. One thing that I'm concerned about, and this is kind of why I was banging the drum a little bit on the wages, is I think you could end up with a situation where wages overall really are not growing as much as people think they are because you're looking at these overall numbers that are skewed by people at the top of the income scale and that wages are not growing overall as much as people think they are. That's going to translate into less consumer demand. You're going to see less business investment the the Fed is already set on raising rates. They're talking about it. They want to do it. They they think it's here. It's time. I, I think you could end up with a situation where the economy squeezes people, and at one point, maybe in the second half of the year, maybe even later, we all kind of have this moment where we say, oh, my God, the economy wasn't as good as we thought it was. The Fed has to rejigger their plans. God only knows what's going to be happening down in Washington. And suddenly... This whole sunny, optimistic idea that the economy is about to take off has to be rethought. That, that, that to me, I, I think that is a legitimate concern. And this is where we call you Papa Bear. That, I okay. don't think that's being bearish. I, I'm, listen, my job as a reporter, as a is, journalist, is. is to is to point out things that could. You know, like, I'm not here to just you know play to the sunshine crowd. I, I have to you know. Anyhow, that's what I think. That is, I think that's a realistic issue that people should be that our people are not concerned. That doesn't about. mean it's not bearish. I, I think the key. Yeah, I think the okay, key <laughs> takeaway that you've got there, which I think is absolutely right, is that you really we really need better measures than we have of how this is hitting across the the income distribution. Because you're right that if you just look at the average, you know the average can be driven by you know. You know, some billionaires are making two right. billion dollars this year instead of one billion, and the <laughs> average. But, but you know, it's also important because, uh, you know, billionaires they might not, you know, they make an extra hundred million dollars. They're they're not going to spend that much more money necessarily because they can spend whatever they want to begin with. Sure. But I, but the group I'm actually really interested in is what's going on with wages at kind of the 80th, 90th percentile. When you mm-hmm. look at households in that group. So these are, you know, generally speaking, these are like upper middle class households who mm-hmm. are in like 160, 200, 250,000. Those households have been doing very, very well. And it, yeah, gets, it gets relatively mm-hmm. little attention. But, you know, the entire top 20 percent of households are, are earning more than they ever have in the past. And yeah, that, I mean, true. if that and, continues and Paul, to be the case. To your point, I, I never look at averages. I look at medians. Uh, every once in a while, I will look at, at you know at, at what Josh is talking about because I think that matters too, especially in driving aggregate consumer demand. And you know, but you know, I, I come back to the point I raised before that the economy has to work for different 
constituencies. It has to work in the aggregate. But, yeah, it also does have to work, you know, for, for middle-class folks in Youngstown, Ohio. Now, the thing that things that bother me about 2017 are not so much that wage growth is, is not going to be there or that it's being overestimated. I, I think it's modest, but it's real, and it's just about back to where it, it was, and now the question is whether it can break out of the sort of cyclical up and down and take, you know, go to a new secular place, which I think is yet to be proven. Um, but the things that worry me on the path there are not cyclical factors. You know, the policy factors that worry me about that are, are twofold. One, that we're going to have some kind of trade war, which I think Wall Street hasn't, you know, factored into forecasts at all. Right. And, and, you know, are potentially very large uh, bear factor next year. And the other thing is that we're preparing for a very large, possibly modestly inflationary stimulus that's really calculated to generate almost no business investment, you know, for all the brave talk. Right. You know, corporate America is going to get a very large tax cut that they're going to spend on buying back shares. And, and, you know, if you, what you need to do is get productivity going and, and to get productivity going, you've got to do things, uh, you know, that drive the education of workers that drive, um, you know, and, and that frankly reflect a, a kind of tighter uh, labor market and higher wage growth labor market at, at the bottom and at the middle that, that force you know, force employees or force employers to invest more in in productivity growth. And and I don't think the Trump program is going to do that. I, yeah. I think the, the problem of it is that. By cutting taxes at the top and for corporations, what you get is a sugar high and not a very big one, 2017 and 2018, that peters out by 2019. Wow. All right. Uh, we have to leave it there because we have to vacate the studio and make way for another uh, great Wall Street Journal podcast. Josh Zumbrum, Tim Mullaney. Gentlemen, thank you very much. This was, I think this was really good. The best okay, one thank yet. Thank you very much. Yeah. I, it was the best one yet. Okay. Uh, and to be honest, and one of the things I would like to say is, like, we'd like to go. I would like to get back into the Trump policies and wage growth and delve into that further. Okay, next podcast. Yeah, next podcast. All right, next podcast. Everyone, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. I hope it was good. Hope you got something out of it, and we'll talk to you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.